This episode of For the Love with Jen Hatmaker is brought to you by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. They can be big, difficult, even scary life things, and also small inconveniences that add up day after day. The thing is, when we keep them all bottled up on the inside and just try to grin and bear it, it can start to affect us and the people around us negatively. We may even isolate ourselves, which makes it even worse. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. This was the case for me when I was at the highest stress level in my life, where the stress was even having physical consequences for me. Therapy was a huge part of my healing journey to learn how to manage the stress. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash for the love today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. You guys, how important is sleep temperature? It's everything to me. And this is where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Its mission is to elevate the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees. It's designed for one or two sleepers. So if your partner likes to sleep at a different temperature or you only need it for one side of the bed, it still works. I just put this on top of my existing mattress and voila. So whether you're dealing with night sweats or simply seeking a better night's rest, Chili Pad is here to transform your existing mattress into a sanctuary of cool, relief, and comfort. Visit www.sleep.me slash FTL to get your Chili Pad and save up to $315 with code FTL. This offer is exclusively available for the love listeners, only for a limited time. So order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with your sleep trial. So visit www.sleep, that's S-L-E-E-P, dot M-E slash F-T-L, because every woman deserves to wake up feeling refreshed and ready to conquer the day ahead. Hey, everybody. Jen Hatmaker here. Welcome to the show. Oh, my goodness. How I'm so pleased to have you here this week as we are in the second episode of an amazing and fun and interesting and thought-provoking series with my friend Kelly Corrigan. I hope you loved our first talk last week about change. And this week, we're talking about something that is near and dear to both of us, friendships. Okay. Uh, We originally had this conversation over on Kelly's podcast, and we loved it so much. We brought a few of those convos over here to our show, along with some brand new commentary from yours truly, because I just love talking to Kelly. I love how we are together. You kind of just forget you're even recording anything, and you aren't just on the back porch solving the world's problems over a glass of wine, which we have done that before too, the two of us. So If you missed last week, I cannot urge you enough to go back and listen to it. Have a pretty robust intro to our friendship and how we met and how we are now. And plus, it's just an amazing conversation. But I have a really small handful of women in my life 
who I reach for and I think of when what I have in front of me is I need a wise, a thoughtful and an honest conversation partner around this big idea. Or I have, I need a partner whose work I believe in and respect and that together we can bring our experiences and our ideas and our struggles, our failures, our lessons to the table without any degree of self-protection, right? Like I know that if we sit down together, what we will discuss will be beautiful and hard and it'll serve our listeners. Kelly is one of those. And I'm telling you, it's a, I can hold them in one hand, the number of women that I would reach for. And she is, well, you'll just see. If, you, if you're new to her, if you didn't hear last week or you've not seen her work before, you'll see what I mean. I find myself so often, and you know, we're like real friends. We're, we're friends, friends. And even then inside of our friendship, when we're having a, a robust conversation about something, I find myself reaching for my pen to jot down little notes that something she's saying or a little phrase she is using. Like she's my professor, right? Like I'm a student in her class. She just is poignant. And she's also so funny. And so unvarnished in a way that I'm drawn to. And I think you will too. So here we go. Friendship, you guys. If you are a listener of this podcast, or if you engage with me on social media, you have 100% seen who I consider my ride or dies, my besties, right? They have gotten me through thick and thin and me them. And I know that this is rare in this day and age, but some of them have been in the picture since we were babies, like growing up together, playing in each other's backyards, having sleepovers, talking about boys, marrying those boys, having kids, sending kids out into the world. Like they've hung in through career changes and divorces, like everything, everything. And I know that's not everyone's experience, of course. And Kelly and I talk about all the different ways we come to know our people. And some of the surprising ways, actually, women cross our paths that we never expected would end up as true, solid friendships. I think the topic of friendship is really tender. Kelly and I talked about this a lot before we recorded this episode. Some of us, like Kelly, for example, and you'll hear her talk about this, maybe find themselves in a new season of life that takes them to a brand new physical location. Whoa, like it could be, nobody talks about how tough it can be to make new friends in your 40s or in your 50s, right? In a new place. When everything is like more formative in our younger years, it feels like we align a little more easily with folks in the same rhythm of life as we are. Not that any of us are like set in our ways. Oh, no, 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 not us, of course. But in our more mature years, if you will, we may see some of those earlier friendships peel off and we're left with a smaller group. Like, people that really stood the test of time. And honestly, that's okay. Like that's actually normal. But new friends, ugh, it's like going on a first date sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Kelly and I said that we think it takes at least 25 interactions at our age to decide if we think someone's going to make the friend cut. Because allowing people into our life, new people, really can be trickier at this stage. So I loved her perspective during this conversation on what that looks like for her right now. I think you're going to take a lot away from that. I've also had to navigate some new uncharted territory when it comes to friendships. This is another sort of test of time situation that I didn't expect to have to figure out. Neither did they, which is what do my friendships look like after divorce, right? 
Kelly asked me some pretty pointed questions here. And I told her, this is a whole thing I I didn't even really know about until it happened to me, of course. When you have the whole couple friends thing down pat, I mean, we had that thing locked and loaded. What happens when you're no longer a couple, right? What happens when everybody else is a couple, but all of a sudden you're not anymore? So we get into that here too. Kelly and I even talk about how talking to our friends can absolutely feel therapeutic. But it's not the best idea to always put our friends in the therapist role. My friends have obviously heard it all, but it wasn't until I started talking to a real therapist that I realized I needed that professional voice to suss some things out for me that my friends, even though we think and suggest that we can fix things with a good mutual rant, which does feel good and Lord, we need those. And they do know you better than anyone too. But a professional helps you kind of know yourself better. And they have the tools to facilitate the discovery of stuff inside your own heart and soul and mind and patterns that only you can really get to. And guess what? It makes you a better person and a better parent and a better friend to get to the bottom of that. So she and I talk about all that and more. We get real honest here, you guys, because as I've said, I know Friendship in adult life is a tender topic. It really can be. Friends have the power to save us and they have the power to hurt us. And there are times in our lives when friends are abundant and sometimes that they're scarce. So Kelly and I are going to wrap our heads around all that and how we show up in it. And we are super glad that you are here for our conversation. Hi, we could probably do this every day of our lives. I know. I'm, I'm totally up for it if you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have nothing else going on. <laughs> right. right. We should be able to squeeze that in. So this week, I wanted to talk about friendship. And okay. I, I feel like it's kind of an under-discussed topic. I and do too. I think there's a lot of angles on it. Like I think that there can be a lot of pain. I think there can be an incredible mm. amount of beauty. So I yeah. remember like loving every page of Truth and Beauty, which is that great Aunt Patcha book about her friend Lucy mm. who died. And then of course I've written so much about my friend Liz, yeah. who also had cancer and died. But I I also remember reading some books over the years that talk about like the trauma involved in mm. friendship or the disappointments involved in friendship. And, you know, I'm the mother of two girls who are yeah making their new friends in college. And of course that Mm -hmm. involves so much. I don't know, like the dance of intimacy a little bit, you know, like how much am I going to show you? How much am I going to tell you? How much am I going to try to rise up to you? I remember Mm -hmm. saying to Claire, are you psyched for the holidays? And she said, I'm so psyched because I'm tired of accommodating people. Oh, bless her. And I was like, wow, man, that is really Mm. true. I was just before we got on talking to a friend of mine about what we're about to to discuss. And I was telling him that on its face, it sounds like maybe a trite topic. I'm going to talk to my friend Kelly about friendship, but it's not (laughs) trite. Like it's not, I've noticed in my community and I bet you would say the same in yours that a healthy connected adult friendships, particularly between women is a real pain point in my community because we're older and friendships have shifted and we have changed. And a friend that was a friend sometimes 15 years ago doesn't have a tidy space in the life we have now or our lives have changed. We've moved and making new friends at our age 
can be really challenging. And so I don't think it's as trite as it might sound. I, I actually think this is, as you mentioned, kind of an overlooked conversation that actually has a lot of pain inside of it. Well, and also it's a really dangerous thing to be lonely. Like that, you know, Vivek mm. Murphy, the yeah. Surgeon General came out with that book about loneliness. And, That's and there's right. all kinds of incredible statistics about how loneliness is actually more dangerous than smoking. I put that in a book. It was so shocking. Yeah. I quoted him. Just He said it was more dangerous than if you were smoking and obese and had a history of heart disease together. Yeah. So, yikes. And you know what? I'll just come clean and say that I am a little bit lonely for the first time in a long time. Uh, we moved after 29 yeah, years. Talk about change. And we, you know, I, I know a lot of people in New York and Brooklyn, mm. but it's much bigger than I realized. And then you layer yeah. on Omicron mm, and gosh, whatever so might true. come next. And it feels somewhat difficult to say to somebody, hey, you want to take a subway mm. for 40 minutes to gosh. have a, a drink and some tacos with me, even though you don't really I mean. know me that well. And maybe I've been fraternizing with people who are ill mm. or feverish. Like it's just real, it feels really blocked for me right now. And it, so I'm mm. very poignantly aware of what I left behind. And I left behind a couple of friends who I was yeah. four minutes away from, who I did mm. not have to, tell them I was coming over, whose back doors uh-huh. were always open, uh-huh. who I could do nothing with. Like I love yeah. now, right yeah. now, because it's all so new, you know, mm. again, and I made it new. So it's, I'm not complaining. I was ready for this, but it's not that fun all the same. Mm. It's like you have to come up with something good enough for it. It's like a first date where it's like, you know. Absolutely. You're kind of like, I really liked her. Like, did she like me? You know, or know. is it is it too soon to text her? Is it like yes. is it too soon? Should I give it a day? Yes. Just it's got all these weird sort of relational rhythms kind of baked in and rules. And because I think what you and I know, I'm 47. How old are you? Just a couple years older than me. Just a couple. Let's just leave it at that, yeah, Jen. That's fine. But we now know at our age that really like those precious friends that are in every nook and cranny, the ones who need no anything, no invitation, no permission, no entertaining. They, they can be pretty rare. So yes, I think we also, probably treasure them and miss them when we don't have them. Yeah, and it, it, like friendship doesn't bloom overnight. It just doesn't. Mm. You, you need like 25 interactions. Like I always feel like oh, this, this so real. huge milestone in any friendship is when you meet the person's parents. Yeah, it's and like now dating I'm, again. Yeah, yeah, but it is. It's uh-huh. like some sense of like your people and where you're from. Yeah. And then- you know, I remember going to see my friend Betsy's house that she grew up in in Darien and like, oh, there's Beth's <laughs> high school in Lake Oswego. And, you know, like that, it just changes your understanding yeah. of a person. And then another thing that really helps mm. open up a person is their children. Yeah, that's they right have too. kids. And now, you know, if I'm an empty nester, mm. I'm talking to other empty nesters, that's just like a black box. Totally. And it's so, it's like so uh, central to most people's lives. I had not thought about that. Like I've had the same friends for so long, but we forged our friendships in the like fires of early childhood. Right. We were raising kids together. We were like, can I come over? Do you have any, like right. I have half a bag of carrots. You have some leftover grapes. Right. Like I have some peanut butter. You know, can we just, can they take a bath at your house? Can they nap? And so those 
connective ties were really strong. And also kind of this, just this central energy that we wrapped ourselves around. Mm -hmm. You gave yourself a triple punch here between new city, pandemic, and new stage of life. Like you are in a sea of change right now, which makes new friendships hard. Like really hard. We have this, I, I made this new friend in Montana named Martha. And every time she every time she emails, I'm like, could we make plans for like the next three weekends? Like, do we, do we it would just it would just soothe my little heart if I knew I was gonna see you on a more regular basis? Every time I email her, I'm like, I think she likes me. She likes me. She does. I mean, she totally likes me. Like she she said that one thing, you know. Like, I mean, it's like amazing that you could it's feel so insecure. But of course mm. you do, because people have their lives and their rhythms, and then you're this that's new right. element that's like, hey, mm. don't forget about me. How did you make a new friend in Montana? From a friend of a friend. I, uh-huh. And this goes to like a tenant of friendship that everybody knows, but you can never hear too much, which is you got to reveal something if you want to start having a real oh, friendship. Yeah. And so I told this friend of mine, Liz and Dache, and I'm a little mm. lonely. And she was like, I know mm. two people in Montana that you should meet. And then she would just write on it. Like as soon as I coughed it <sighs> up, then she was right there for me. And so, you know. Literally like a matchmaker. Exactly. So you just started texting each other? Like, hey, I'm Kelly. I wrote her an email and I was like, hey, I'm uh-huh. new to town. And Liz said that we would really like each other. That's and so do cute. you want to go for a walk? And then we were going for a walk. And we were walking around this thing and I was really in a funny mood, like a super loose and, and unguarded. Mm. And I don't know mm-hmm. if I was trying to rush us along or what. But I, I felt like I was like exposing everything all at once so that it was like, here, here's <laughs> I who I am. This is my deal. Right. If you like me, great. If you don't, like, <laughs> I got to keep moving here because I'm like desperate to find somebody uh, to drink mezcal and do puzzles with. And so anyway, then at the end of our walk, she was like, why? Well, I was thinking about getting sushi. And I was like, oh, I'll get sushi. You want to get sushi? <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute. It's such a it's so, You're just like so thirsty. Oh like, my God. <laughs> Okay, don't take this the wrong way. I kind of love that this is your experience right now because you have something new to say about it. You know, you lived in California for 29 years. That is a whole adult life. So yeah, sure. your, your relationships are baked in. Your sort of social rhythms are pretty much baked in at that point. You've done like the couple friend thing that is its own category. Yes. Like you now have some new insight on being a grown-up lady who's got to rethink all this in a new place and in a new way, which it's just going to be interesting to watch you navigate this. And I'm not at all surprised to hear that you just went hard, <laughs> that you like absolutely went like all in uh-huh. hard. Like, uh-huh. hey, first of all, let me tell you, I'm a breast cancer survivor. I lost my dad. I can literally hear you rattling off your, your things. You must have had a couple friends that got all weird and squirrely when you guys got divorced. Oh, that's a weird thing. That is, that is a whole thing that I didn't even know to talk about until it happened to me, kind of like you right now in this new space, mm. which was, I mean, after 26 years of marriage, the couple friend thing was locked and loaded. And so we all just sort of scrambled around for a minute trying to sort that out. Like, do I mean, we- is there side picking and all that kind of crap? <sighs> yeah. Like you don't, want there to be. And I think at the beginning, we were like, how can we hold this fractured thing together? Mm. And everybody tried their best. But also our circumstances were wild. And so I think ultimately you kind of get 
some friends in the divorce and the other one gets some others. Mm-hmm. Kind of like we should, we, we have split custody. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, so now I find myself, I, I have the majority of our couple friends still like fully embedded in my life. And so all my social things right now, Kelly, are like all the marrieds plus Jen. And, like, and is that fine just, for you or does it bug you or? Yeah, no, it's fine because we've been friends for so long. Yeah. So at this point, we're well beyond like anything ever being awkward. And, and then they're mean about it too. They're like mean, funny. We were in, <laughs> where were we traveling? We were all traveling together somewhere and like a big trip, all of them plus me. Oh, we were in Mexico and we had a table, like a, a great restaurant for dinner. And it was like seating for nine. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so Trey, my friend Jenny's husband was like, cause it kind of made for awkward seating. We kind of had to shove a chair in somewhere. And he was like, Jen, this would be so much easier if this was a table for eight. <laughs> like, <laughs> so we found a way to joke our way through it. But yeah, so friendships can really shift in more than one way. The other thing I miss so much in the pandemic And really, you know, as a writer and a person who's sort of out here on my own doing all these crazy projects, I miss work friends. I miss, I really miss Mm. the very funny, unusual relationships Mm. that you can have with these people that are contained in the office. Mm -hmm. I I just love that. I love how much variety there is in those relationships where it's people of different ages, people have come from different places. You know, whereas like my inner circle is mostly 50-year-old women who sort of look like me uh-huh. and have read all the same yeah. books. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah like, exactly. But, but then you're working with like Weird Bill and there's Harriet. She's <laughs> nuts. And, you know, but I love that. I love the texture yeah. of that. And I'm, God, I miss an office. When, but it's been a minute for you. Like, when's the last time you worked in an office? Well, I mean, I've done so many projects. So sometimes when I'm working on a project, I can do it That's with true. two or three other people around a table. Or, you know, I did this charity thing for 10 years with this group of great yeah. women and we met every Tuesday mm. and it was just like always kind of a kick. Like it it was, mm-hmm. we got our work done and then we started cracking jokes and it was just mm. like a good time. It was a good rhythm. I like that. I, I like the appreciation you're showing for some of the spaces where friendships can be surprising, where they're not just the ones we choose or we seek out or the thing that we have in common is so obvious that we're just bound to be friends. Like some of those are the most interesting people that come into our lives. Um, Because we tend to self-select based on our own personal itinerary. You know, like I'm the same. Like my friends are, we're all the same person, essentially. We just live in different houses. Right, Um, right, right. Yeah, we like the same things. Where our ideologies aligned, we're we we're our humors the same. Yeah, for sure, we could trade closets. So uh, it is valuable when people come into our lives that we would never select or necessarily choose, or that our paths wouldn't cross in any other way, and yet there they are: interesting, quirky, vibrant, making us think new thoughts, making yeah. us laugh. Yeah. I love those. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. Guys, it's already allergy season in Texas. My yard is in full bloom and all the things are in the air. So I decided allergies will not win this year. So I tried Astapro. It has improved my nasal allergy symptoms and it's faster, bro. Astapro is a first of its kind nasal allergy spray. It is the fastest 24 hour over the counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength, indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. 
So get fast acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. So you can Astapro and go, you guys, today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Astapro and go. The other thing that's been nice about the kids going to college is that that has reconnected me to a bunch of people. Oh, like, tell me more about that. Like, I got that phrase from you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Tracy Tattle, my college roommate, who I traveled with for a year mm-hmm. and who's like, mm-hmm. you know, like a sister to me, she lives in right near Georgetown and George is at Georgetown. Oh, so that's been a yeah. super fun surprise mm. thing where I'm seeing her, you know, two, three, four times a year and the adult, more adult version of Georgia is getting to know Tut Tut, yeah. and that's fun for them, and they have their own vibe. So true. And then I think next year, I think three or four of my friends have kids going to Virginia next year, which is where Claire is. That's uh, so great. I love that because then you get to you get to plug back into a system that has some muscle memory, but you plug back in as the the you right now, and then you automatically have this shared life experience. Our kids are in college. We're the people who have kids in college, you know, like that's a category. So you get to like both pull from your own history and also make new history. Like those are some of the best. Yeah. You're not exactly starting from scratch. Yeah. But But also it's so cool to, if you can remind yourself to let them reintroduce themselves and let them be different mm. than how you remembered them. Well, I'm laughing when I think about you plugging back into college relationships because you were a wildcat. <laughs> so like, <laughs> now you're like, you work for PBS for God's <laughs> sakes. Like <laughs> people change. So <laughs> I know, I think that uh, sometimes when great. I see those outer, like the guys, you know, I ran into this guy, Pat Sanderson from Richmond who, I mean, I partied at his fraternity a whole, Uh whole bunch in college. And Mm -hmm. I saw him at Parents Weekend at UVA and I thought, oh God, this must be such (laughs) cognitive dissonance for you. You must be like, (laughs) who are you trying to kid with like this public media that you're trying to pull off? Like, oh my gosh. I saw you. I know you. (laughs) I picked you up off the ground, you sloppy thing. They'll pull you back to when you were 19. That's right. That's right. So oh, my reading, gosh. I'll go first if you want today, okay. is actually about Tracy Tuttle. And it's from oh, Tell perfect. Me More. Uh-huh. And it's... I feel like I know Tracy. Yeah, I, I think a lot uh-huh. of people feel like they know Tracy. Yep. It's kind of awesome. She, she, interestingly, she had this business for, I don't know, 20, 30 years with her mom. And then she uh-huh. sold it. And she went back to school to be a therapist. And she finished her degree. And now she has 15 patients that she sees every single week. And she was born to do it. She's like one of the world's great listeners, super compassionate, totally non-judgmental, and like a very conscientious student. So anyway, this is about me learning from her, as I've done so often. I was flying to DC, where she lives, to go to our Richmond reunion. I had just landed at Dulles. Tracy Tuttle, my freshman year roommate, picked me up. Though she often says she's 5'11", Tracy is six feet tall. And thanks to her <laughs> jackrabbit metabolism, lean as Twiggy. When I first got to school, she was my assigned freshman year roommate. And we had this huge long day. And all day long, people say, wow, you're so tall. How tall are you? And she said, 5'11", 5'11". And then <laughs> we were going to sleep. And she was on the top bunk and I was on the bottom bunk. And she's like, hey, I wanted to tell you something. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, I'm actually six feet tall. That's so great. Wow. Like, you like don't, true confessions. Yeah, you don't want to lie to me. That's amazing. <laughs> Thanks to her jackrabbit metabolism, lean as Twiggy. 
She has a great laugh and loves parties, music, and late-night diner food. We initially fell into step with each other because we smoked the same cigarettes and watched the same soap operas, ABC, all the way. By the end of orientation week, although we shared not a single physical feature, Tracy and I were so often together, people started calling both of us Trelly rather than try to work out who was who. I threw my roller bag into the back of her minivan and settled in for the two-hour ride to campus where we would be reminded of inane drinking games, a band called the White Animals that we worshiped to the point of tears. And thanks to a run-in with the five-year reunion kids who invited us to play beer pong and thought we were adorable, our age. Traffic-wise, two hours would become four, but we had a full conversational agenda. Tracy was selling her real estate business after 20 years. We had both just seen Birdman, so there was that to untangle, and we were mothers. If we used to talk into the night, parsing the subtleties of our interactions with the brothers of Lambda Chi, we could talk family dynamics till morning now. She said she and Tom, her husband, had been arguing lately about when to let your kids start figuring things out on their own. He's so into them being independent and solving their own problems. Tracy wanted to agree. Backing off sounded so good but it's impossible. It's like watching them do a puzzle and they're getting so frustrated and you can see the piece they need. It's right there. I mean, seriously, how long can you go before you hand it to them? Even though it makes them feel stupid, even though it takes away all the fun of finishing something on your own. I admitted that I can't watch the girls climb a tree without telling them where to put their foot next. I can sit on my hands for about eight seconds. When they tell me about a problem, which is rare and getting rarer, I can think of five things they should do before they finish their first sentence. Right, Tracy said, but then there's that whole weird thing where like half the time it's not even about what they say it's about. So your advice is totally wrong because you don't even understand what the real problem is or what they're asking for. Yep. Lately, Tracy went on, I've been trying to get them to just keep talking, to tell me more and more, Tracy said. I say, what else? Go on. Is that all? And while they're talking, I try really hard not to jump in or cut them off. Like recently, Billy had this coach. And to God, before she could get into the story, Georgia called bawling. Fairly early on, Edward and I had it in our heads that Georgia was the picture of confidence, confident to the point of being argumentative. And in certain circles, she was, for example, in the circle that is our family. With us, she was a vocal and often victorious self-advocate. We'd seen none of the classic indicators of trouble, eating, sleeping, homework, like a champ. But at school, in a circle of sixth grade girls, there she was getting bounced around and she didn't like it. So combine my outdated rap on her, kiln dried, when her preschool teacher referred to her as fierce, with my total lack of access to her school self. And you'll understand why I thought it was a wrong number when I heard an 11-year-old blubbering into my phone. Mommy, mommy, I hate sixth grade. It's not fair. And everyone just lies. I have to come clean here. Something terrible happens to me when my girls cry. More so now than when they were infants and I was able to remind myself that crying was their only method of communication. I didn't like it back then. Who does? But aided by what Edward dubbed a red lobster pour of icy cold Sauvignon Blanc, (laughs) each evening at five, I managed. Now... Crying that indicates existential pain, the possible onslaught of unhappiness, isolation, despair. That kind of crying is more threatening to me than a lump in my breast. It's like being skinned alive. 
With Tracy beside me, I put Georgia on speaker. Everyone's turning on me because they say I was mean to Piper, but I wasn't mean to Piper. Mm. You must have said something I wanted to say. Her school's most recent life skills newsletter emphasized personal responsibility. Maybe if I could get her to see her own error, we'd be one step closer to resolution. But Tracy whispered, let her get it out. Tell me what happened, I said. I didn't say anything, even though Piper has been really mean to me like 10 times. Tracy looked at me with raised eyebrows. Just say it back to her, she mouthed. So everyone's mad at you about being mean to Piper, but you weren't. Right, Georgia said, and she was mean to me. Tracy nodded. Do it again. Piper was mean to you, and you're getting blamed for being mean to her. Yes. Tracy circled her hand in that unmistakable go-on motion, and so I said, what else? Remember at Christmas when Jackie was mean to Emma? I told her I did, though I did not and could not at that moment picture an Emma. Nobody got (laughs) mad. (laughs) Nobody got mad at Jackie. Cyrano de Bergerac fed me another line. So no one was mad at Jackie. No one. (laughs) How would Edward handle this, I wondered. Not by wallowing in it, I was sure. Standard course of action was to stifle the drama with a there, there, you'll be fine, and then start handing out gum. Tracy said softly, that must feel so unfair, which brought to mind my friend Paul, who told me once at cocktail parties, whenever someone tells him what they do for work, he says, that must be really hard. And every time, no matter what they do, they say, oh, it is. (laughs) He started doing it because he's shy and needs the other person to do the talking, but he kept doing it as a public service. Everyone loves Paul. I can't say exactly why, but I think I can. That must feel so unfair, I said to Georgia. It does. I assumed we had exhausted the facts, but I wanted Tracy to see that I was getting it. So I asked, is there more? Georgia practically came through the phone. Everyone is protecting Piper, but when I need protection, there's nobody. Why isn't anyone standing up for me? That must be awful and confusing. Like, why am I being treated one way and Piper another? Exactly, she said, her voice newly steady. Hitting her blinker, Tracy smiled. I had to admit, asking for more and listening was a thousand times easier than coming up with consoling thoughts and next steps. Wait, Mommy, where are you right now? Are you in Richmond already? Not yet, another hour or so. I opened a can of Pringles. Oh, that's good. Well, I have to go. Have fun with Tracy Tut-Tut, she said before hanging up. That was kind of incredible, I said, holding out the chips for Tracy. You know you're doing it right when you hear the word exactly, Tracy said. Now the trick is doing it every time, which must not be so easy since otherwise all therapist kids would be perfect. (laughs) Right. It's so good. I love that essay. I mean, she's just so wise and she's so patient and she has so much faith in in what she knows to be true, you know? Like, she's kind of unyielding. She doesn't crack when it starts to actually go down. Like, she she really Mm. pulls the levers that she knows are are wired to the right thing. Uh, Her, of course, sage advice, which I literally just used on you a minute ago, it rubs so hard against my instincts. So hard. Mm. 
I'm a fixer like you. And, and I'm, I'm smart at fixing. I'm so good <laughs> at it. And if everybody would listen to me, but you know, I've been in like really serious therapy for the last year and a half, just working through all of it. Yeah. And part of it has been my kids suffering, mm-hmm. which like, me, okay, I can handle this. My kids suffering, I just just put me under. You know, right. I just thought this is too much. This hurts too much, and I can't fix it, and I can't get it right. I kept telling my therapist, I can't get this part right. I can't, um, mm. I can't parent right because it's still here. <laughs> like I just felt like if I was, I must be missing the formula, mm. or else everybody would be better by now. Do you have a friend who would say to you, Jen, like who would be able to break that spell? For you and like take you by the shoulders and say, Jen Hatmaker, stop uh-huh. it. Like this is going to take time. I do. And it tends to be people who've gone slightly ahead of me in a similar lane. Yes, yes, um, yes. And my, and my therapist handed me a metric that I now get to like fall back on, which has helped me because I just wanted to, I wanted to solve the problem. And she was just like, oh, the problem is this isn't a solvable thing. It's not fixable. It's not in your power. So she's like, your problem is your perspective. She said, sad is not bad. Mm. Mad is not bad. Hard is not bad. And so she taught me how to just sit down next to sad, bad, hard and just say, yes, it is. I feel the same way. And literally the best we can do right now is just to be like, we're in this together. Right. That took a Herculean effort to just let that be the period at the end of the sentence where I didn't even then come in, but also these three things might help, (laughs) you know? Right. It's interesting to talk about therapy in the context of friendship because I've heard said many times, like, I don't really need a therapist. I need just great friends. Like my friends and I talk about stuff all the time. Do you Mm. feel like there's a special and important and unique role for a therapist that even Mm. though you have deep friendships where you feel Mm. free to talk openly, that Mm. it wouldn't have sufficed? That's a great question because I also know the absolute power of the friends that are like sisters, how they come around you in crisis or in tragedy and and what they have to offer you in that moment is so special and unique to what they can do. My friends kept me breathing last year, but in my experience, my therapist got to a portion of my, not just my psyche, but my patterns that she had the expertise to reach. Like I consider myself Mm self-aware. But the the ways in which she was able professionally, psychologically to hold a mirror up to me and say, can you see this thing you're saying? Like, can you see this thing you're doing? Or this is a pattern you keep repeating. Or I hear you saying this and what's under it is this, was just something that I needed a therapist to do. Like I wanted my friends to rage and drink wine with me and volunteer to watch trash TV when on the days it got too much and whisk me away for like nights away. And they did that with absolute like gold star behavior. Mm -hmm. But I needed a therapist who wasn't there to be my friend, who was there to say, some of these things belong to you. This is your, this is yours to work out. And if you don't, you'll just trot it right into the next relationship. And I'm like, first of all, that's mean. 
And that's not what I pay you to tell me. Like I am paying you to tell me that I am perfect and innocent. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I am a big fan of therapy. I've just seen it make such a difference in people's lives and in relationships and and in my life personally. And so the other thing is something there. There's hardly. I mean, I I feel like I'm in some pretty deep friendships. I can't really bring someone to mind that I would feel comfortable talking to mm-hmm. for one hour a week just about me. That's so true. For like a year. Like, it, that's just that's not what friendship so is. True. Like, there's so much Good more point. give and take. And there are considerations at work. You that's, know, like if you're you, so right. Yeah. So I, I think that probably there is this very distinct yeah. requirement and potential yeah. for therapy that is just, unfortunately, you can't get it for free. Yeah, you do. You've got to pay for that level of a professional undivided attention. But then, you know, there's there's not a one-size-fits-all in therapy either. Like I've got some friends who will probably see their therapist pretty consistently forever, which is just the level of kind of therapeutic care that they need and want based on their history and the stuff they're working through. And then there's some who are maybe more like me for whom the majority of my therapy was situational, circumstantial. Mm. I needed it for a season in a really intense way. Not that we can't all benefit from maintenance, but therapy can look however we need it to look. And I know for me, it was a lifeline. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Another thing about friendship that's interesting is like, who fills what role? Like, who do you want to mm. talk about mm-hmm. your marriage with? Who do you want to talk about your kids with? Mm-hmm. Who do you want to talk about your job with? And I I feel like I've just recently found like my perfect professional women friends where I can really, Mm. I have, I have a lot to offer them and they have so much to teach me. And I, I didn't even know that I was missing that, but it's really, it's really nice to talk to somebody else who is climbing a hill. I'd love to hear you say that. I have that group. I have a group of friends, there's six of us and our our careers are real overlapping. We're very ancillary in our spaces and we, none of us live in the same place and we've been friends for a decade and we do a whole thing on Voxer on the regular. I mean, for 10 solid years and we get together at least once a year, every year, usually the first week of January. And so that is life-giving when you don't have to explain your weird job because you and I have weird jobs. Yep. And nobody needs an explanation. Everybody understands the pitfalls, the landmines, the stuff we hate, the stuff we love. And you just get to like get after it. I I, I don't know if I could do without it. 
that professional understanding and like friendship is so special. And I, I think of that as my mastermind group, in addition to being genuine friends. I mean, when you really connect with other women around your careers and your work, a hundred other things slip in the side door. I mean, all of a sudden you're talking about parenting, right? I mean, it just, there's no end, there's no good boundary there at all. Yes. And also, I mean, like I'll never forget my friend, Mary Hope, telling me how much money she made. Uh, I mean, complete, I went in the next day. I was like, I need a race. Like I I, uh I have been stupidly underpaid without my consent or understanding for five years. And like, thank God she told me and, and I really love that. explained it. It was like, this is what I make in my compensation. This is what I make in bonuses. This is what I make in stock options. You know, we, I'm covering insurance for our family. Like, so yes. there's this kind of soft payments. And anyway, I was like, wow, like mm. this is essential. And you could, so uh, you could just call that a metaphor for absolutely anything, you know? Mm. That's a certain level of friendship that's really, really special. And we owe that to each other. I I wish this was more celebrated in the circle of women. I wish we were less hung up on being that gut level honest with one another and making sure that our sisters are getting a fair shake and that we are, that we are looking out for each other. I think that women have so historically scrambled for and fought over the only two seats at the table yes. we've been allowed, yes. you know, that we just claw each other to death trying to get one of the seats. And I've never liked that approach. I'm like, what if by God, we just banded together and shoved more seats to the table, you know, that we lift one another up and we pull up new voices to the conversation and we elevate one another. And all of a sudden the table looks different because we saw to it. I'm I mean, just you committed can to that. So understand the fear of like God. If if I got all the way through this tiny little hole in the mm-hmm. system, like I don't want to make any trouble. Like I just want to keep my spot, you know. But I no, think, I do. And then God, this idea of competition. That. Like I don't want to feel like if I elevate another woman, not only will she probably succeed, but she may pass me by. She may take my spot. We've been conditioned to think this that we are in a in a space of scarcity. Yes. In a community of women that if you take your spot, it's going to displace me. But that's just not how the world works. It really isn't. We're just going along with these rules we've been handed, but they're just on paper. Like they really are. They're, they can be changed. They can be reversed. We're pretty powerful together, women really powerful actually. And I think a lot of men are scared of us. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean that, you know, I'm not a hate man type. Neither one of us are. But in, in places of power and position where women tend to turn on each other as competitors, as opposed to like raising each other up as sisters and colleagues, I actually think we have a lot of agency over how those systems function. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do feel like it's it's not quite as scary as it once was. Mm to, you know, kick the door open wider and say like, what about this mm. person? What about that person? And if Homogeny all the people- is so boring. Uh, it's so boring. I it's, mean, enough. It, enough. It, it feels interesting to the people talking because they love the sound of their own voices, <laughs> but it is genuinely boring. Yeah. What's interesting is challenge. What's interesting is a little bit of tension, a completely different opinion or perspective or experience. That's interesting. Yeah. Like that makes me curious 
That'll keep me like locked in. And so good on you for holding that line, which I already know. It would be so much easier if you didn't. Tell me about your reading. Okay. So this is out of Fierce, Free and Full of Fire, out of a chapter called I Need More Connection. Yeah. Kind of going back to some like of those loneliness. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's those loneliness statistics that you referenced earlier. That it's, it's so catastrophic for our, our minds, our souls, our bodies, and our longevity. Like genuinely we need connection, but it's a hard thing to say. It feels a little embarrassing, like humiliating even like I should have it by now or everybody else seems to be doing better or why am I the only lonely person? And so I, mine is not that long, but my friends, anybody who's in my community knows that the the place that my friends hold in my life is so high. Mm. I just think when I'm at the end of my life and I look back on it and try to pluck out the true highlights, like this is really what matters in the course of a life. My relationships with my friends will be literally in the top two. And what they've meant to me over the course of... I mean, I've been friends with some of these people for like 23 years. I just wrote like a little tiny story about them and it's not that long, but... And it starts out like this. My two, and now I would add three, this when I wrote this. My two best girlfriends and I live within 45 seconds of each other. Jenny, Shauna, and I have around 20 million shared memories. As I type this paragraph, we're at the lake together and I'm upstairs writing while they are downstairs painting the walls after organizing my closets. We made a sunset happy hour date for 5.30 on the deck because I always feel like I need a prize for doing my job. Like, where is my gold star for doing the normal work I am paid to do? Oh my God, thank you. (laughs) That's the Enneagram 3. We have traveled the world together on points and miles and rewards, employing a very, very tacky tradition. In every place we visit, we buy matching sweatshirts with that city's name on it. Oh my God. Now, good people of style, I do not mean trendy sweatshirts that look cute over leggings or paired with skinny jeans. We hunt for the ugliest, most ill-fitting, obnoxious (laughs) sweatshirts we can find. We prefer to buy them in a gas station or from some sketchy street vendor. They must absolutely scream tourists. We like to get them three sizes too big since they will shrink in half upon washing like $5.99 sweatshirts do. Although not required, it delights us if either the font or the entire thing is somewhere between loud and fluorescent. We will not purchase if there is not one for each of us, for they must be matching or what is even the point of traveling. Then, and this part is crucial, we wear them while still in that city, all three of us. Our husbands love this, except the opposite of that. Our crown jewel was getting our names screen printed in Greek while in Athens, which we then wore on our bike tour. We do this unironically and with no shame. The rule is we shall not explain ourselves. No side wink to our waiter. No, we're just being silly comments to our guide. No explanation of our matching double extra large coral sweatshirts that say, I love San Francisco while at dinner in the Bay Area. Oh, come on. I know, I know. There's (laughs) your little nod. We stand by our fashion choices with great dignity, like three gaudy Queen Elizabeths. Our friend Amy (laughs) traveled with us to Seattle once. And months later, while organizing our church's garage sale, Jenny found the matching fire engine red sweatshirt we forced her to purchase in one of the boxes, marched over to her with the orphaned souvenir in hand, and in a low, terrifying voice said, explain yourself. (laughs) 
<laughs> the sweatshirts are forever. I don't know why I even have to explain this. They are a package deal with this sisterhood forged through a thousand fires, a million conversations, and a billion shared laughs. I credit my girlfriends for the deep sense of belonging that has sustained me through an unexpected public life. Although hyperbole is my medium, with absolutely no exaggeration, I cannot imagine my life without them. I have no vision for it, no imaginable existence. A connected life drunk with rich relationships is central to my soul theology. I hold so many elements of my life loosely. My career and platform matter enormously, and I aim to offer the truest, best work I'm capable of. But if it went away or shifted, I'd adjust my sales. However, if all I was left holding were relationships with my family and closest community, if that is all that remained, I would still consider myself the luckiest girl on earth. My life derives its greatest meaning, its power and energy from the people I love who love me too. It's almost like the most revealing thing about us, like who we love and who loves us. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Like it just screams your values out loud. This is what I love. It really does. Yeah, there, that's so true. Because there is what we say, and you and I say a lot of things. We have a lot of convictions. We care about things that matter. We say plenty of things, but like, who do we love mm-hmm. and who loves mm-hmm. us? That show me the money Yeah, right there. I love you and I love talking to you and I love working with you and I love learning from you and, and I love seeing you. And now I'm coming up to your neck of the woods here in a couple of weeks and I literally insist. I insist on some time. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay, so here's our closing poem from Kate Bear. It's called Girls' Night Out. How Mm. perfect is that? Okay. In restaurants, we argue over who will pay, even though the real question is who will confess their children are dull or their marriage has holes at the knees. We order French fries, salads, and brie, hold wine to our lips, pull truth from our bags that we kept all along. She wonders... Do you remember when I cried in the cab, wore that shirt with the sleeves, left him alone in the rain? We do. We do. Oh, that gave me goosebumps. That's Kate Bear. Jen, will you come back next week? I would love to. I can't wait. See you then. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye. Hey everybody, Jen here, dropping in with a real quick announcement that we're super excited about. We are launching a premium podcast on Apple Podcasts. So what is a premium podcast? Well, it's the same great show that you've come to know and love every single week, but with a few extra features. Subscribers to the premium podcast will get, first of all, earlier access to the show each week. Also, all of the shows will be commercial free. And finally, we'll have some really great exclusive content from yours truly and extra bonus episodes featuring a variety of amazing guests as well. And all of this goodness starts on Apple Podcasts on July 19th. So head on over to For the Love with Jen Hatmaker podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe. It's only $2.99 a month for all these great features, early access, no commercials, and exclusive bonus content. You're going to love it. 